Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. For people with autism, it can be tough to find regular paid employment. Times are changing for the better. However, there's much work to be done for advancement. Only until fairly recently have transition to adult programs been established, and they are in infancy. Some adults with autism have no intellectual disability, but are coping with severe anxiety, and others may have amazing technical skills, but experience sensory challenges. Schools are mandated to provide appropriate transition programs for autistic students, but not all schools are ready or able to do so, and adult services vary by location. On today's episode, we're speaking with Ryan Litchfield, an autism and disability self-advocate with educational, personal, and professional experiences in working with the autism and gerontological communities. He has over seven years of public speaking experience on disability and health advocacy across many communities within central Massachusetts and is passionate in helping individuals with autism to work on and pursue their personal and professional goals. Hi, Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Well, I'm really excited to speak with you because I know that you have been a pretty powerful speaker on today's topic for unemployment, underemployment of people that are on the autism spectrum. You know firsthand the you know, personal challenges that this can bring. And then I just want you to share everyone a little bit about your backstory, um, a little bit about your diagnosis when you receive that, and we'll go from there. Yeah, that sounds terrific. I can definitely do that. So just to start things off, basically I was going through the developmental milestones when I was young prior to the diagnosis at the age of two. So I was considered a healthy baby by my mom and a lot of the nurses, but I know we're all um, the cutest babies around. (laughs) That's Uh, right. But um, I was doing fine with walking and crawling, and over the time I was learning about 20 to 40 words, um, mama, papa, cookie. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was is what my parents started to notice, and even my family members, what they started to notice was hypersensitivity. So I was experiencing a lot of crying, a lot of tears a lot of temper tantrums, being nonverbal. Um, I couldn't talk, I couldn't gesture, I couldn't even verbalize. Um, I couldn't ask for what I wanted or what I needed, mm-hmm. um, which was frustrating to me and to my um, parents and to my uh, family members. Sure. And what my parents also noticed is that the 20 to 40 words that I learned over the course of time was, was gone. So they were really concerned and... At that point, they ended up bringing me to the hospital to get referred to see what was going on. And so what they did was bring me to UMass Memorial and to get evaluated. Because autism is not like one of those diagnoses where um, you can use labs or an x-ray. or Sure. Uh, so it's more on behavior and observation. Mm-hmm. And so given the uh, data from my family and friends and given um, what the doctor evaluated, they did diagnose me with autism. The actual diagnosis uh, was pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. Okay. But uh, today it would be under the um, autism spectrum disorder because mm-hmm. they did notice uh, challenges with uh, social communication, social interaction, and behavior. And so what happened is my parents, 
and you know my family friends they were all taking all raising all these kinds of questions like will I ever talk will I ever function will I ever live independently right. require 27 supports and my autism was considered to be pretty profound when uh, I was around two years old mm-hmm. um, they did at the time also notice the possibility of petite mall seizures um, which are kind of like staring off into like outer space as people sometimes like to call but um, when somebody's trying to talk to you, like, I would just basically just stare and be distracted. But it wasn't really fully confirmed uh, diagnosis, but that's what they were looking at. Okay. So then, um, in terms of services and treatment, so I went through early intervention um, right around until about the age of three, speech and occupational therapy, learning the activities of daily living and independent time activities of daily living. That could be things like learning how to uh, get dressed, learning how to bathe, learning um, how to make food, um, and a variety of other essential living functions. Sure. In addition, I also um, attended a a school called Sterling Nursery School between ages three and six. Um, They basically, it was a special school where they worked with um, people on the autism spectrum. Um, They also did speech and occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. And then I also underwent applied behavioral analysis. I did ABA in the home setting. Okay. That was for about two years. Um, I did about 20 to 40 hours a week. Okay. And during that time, I did continue to have speech and occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. And so part of my ABA program consisted of working on goals and objectives, such as learning how to initiate eye contact, learning fine and gross motor skills, the coordination of muscles with objects, imitating actions and objects um, to see how it's used in social situations, mm-hmm. one step direction, learning how to understand spoken and written language, learning to say yes and no, and even um, matching objects and understanding how those um, relate to one another Sure. in order to utilize social communication and social interaction. And then I will also state that some of my the stigmas and stereotypes that have been said by outsiders, there was one time where my mom was telling me that there was someone that told her that I should have been, I should be institutionalized because of my behaviors and because mm-hmm. of the issues that I've had with the autism. So sad. And there was another, yeah. And then there was another time where me and my mom went shopping, and there was someone that said, oh, you you know, you should smack your son for his bad behavior, which I didn't know better at the time. Sure. And then there were other stigmas and stereotypes, such as you talk weird, you have weird thoughts and feelings, you don't belong here, you need to do better personally. And this occurs, like, even in my schooling and, and other aspects of the community. People would just laugh, gossip, and they pretty much try to spread rumors. And it was very, very challenging. Yeah. What I will say, school challenges. So elementary school was probably the hardest for me. Just trouble making friends, not understanding the questions they ask or the topics they're talking about, mm-hmm. not picking up on those uh, nonverbal cues. There would also be times where I'd be angry and frustrated. I think part of it was it was just noisy classrooms and students not paying attention in class and trying to have that routine and that structure. That's that's what a lot of people on the autism spectrum like. Yeah. Um, crying in tears, rejection from students. It would, what's hard is like either I would want to be by myself because I was comfortable with that or 
I would try to reach out to people my own age, but they're not, they weren't interested. Yeah. And then, uh, and, but even trying to reach out, it just provoked a lot of anxiety and discomfort for me. Right. Um, and now, then, uh, did you have yeah. a support uh, resource in, in the school to help you? I did. I had a, an aid. I had a special education aid in my uh, classes throughout elementary school. Okay. Um, I did. And I was on an IEP, um, a special educa- part of the special education program. Mm-hmm. I did that pretty much throughout my whole public school career. But just uh, just going to want to briefly go back to um, the school challenges. So literal thinking, taking things literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody's trying to say a joke or if somebody's trying to promote sarcasm, like I have difficulty picking up on that. Sure. Um, which can be hard, I think, for um, a lot of people on the autism spectrum. Sure. But things got, did get a little bit better when I went into middle school. So I ended up being part of a, a math club and also being part of a, a band, the alto saxophone. So I was playing the alto saxophone. That's awesome. And trying to fit in um, with people my own age. I would say even one of the hardest moments was eighth into ninth grade. So when I was transitioning from middle to high school, I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of depression. Um, I was seeing a counselor, you know, going on medication. Mm-hmm. But the transition was just very, very hard. And I think it was just because there was a lot of classes, a lot more expectations, a lot of students went to the school. My high school consisted of five different towns. So we're talking like probably up to 2,000 students. Wow. So that, that, that was a little bit overwhelming at the time. Yeah. But also at that time, that's when my grandmother also passed away uh, to cancer. So there was a lot of stuff that was contributing to the anxiety and depression. Absolutely. But Even just for a neurotypical person, that's a lot to be dealing with at one time. So, absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So, but there was one point where me and my mom were in a meeting because I, there were times where I thought about, you know, not wanting to exist or, um, I even said that at one point to my mom when I was in high school, uh, I even said I wanted to jump out the window, but my mom loving me very much and knowing who I am. She knew I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Uh, but basically they were concerned about my health and well-being. They weren't sure if uh, I was, was going to be able to get through high school. Mm-hmm. But eventually things did turn around for me. I was starting to get um, A's and B's going on the honor roll. And that's where I actually started my public speaking engagements. It was right around junior year of high school. The speech and the language pathologist I was working with, she asked me if I wanted to go to an elementary school to talk to students about the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And there was another student that was with me as well. So we both, me and the other student on the autism spectrum, went to the elementary school. We gave our presentation. And then it was just unique and it's incredible because after that, uh, not only did they have questions about, you know, my experiences with autism, but they also had questions like, what's your favorite sport? What's your favorite uh, food? What's your favorite activity you like to do outside? And, you know, over the years, as I've been doing the public speaking, I've realized that you're trying to gain an idea of uh, being a a person and not just somebody with a disability. Um, So the idea is, 
first person language and the idea of hurt people first and not just the disability because the reality is no matter who you, no matter what you have, you know, you're always going to be that person. I'm always going to be Ryan no matter what. Right. And I think that's really important. That's Um, so sweet. and And I also, yeah. And so I also developed an autism awareness club at the high school as well. Oh, awesome. Uh, so I tried um, to promote more awareness of autism through that. But basically, touching back on the special education program as well. So I was on an IEP, and then I've had the um, special education aid up until about high school. So probably around until like ninth or 10th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't need the um, aid anymore. Okay. But I was getting like academic accommodations and modifications, some counseling, some supports to basically have equal access to opportunities in the classroom, like people, like students without disabilities. And I think that's really important to emphasize. Mm-hmm. And in Especially the high school, if, oh, go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, even in college as well. Um, you know, when you go to college and you get accommodations and stuff, the key with high school and college is that you you be an advocate. You know, to, to advocate for yourself and to, but to also realize, you know, this isn't what you need help with. And it's not meant to, you know, take advantage of, of you know, getting, you know, all A's or, or what have you. But it's rather that equal opportunity to level the playing field when you're taking courses or you're taking, you know, these opportunities, even job opportunities down the road. Right. Was there any kind of transition program? Because I know you went on to go to college and had a very successful career at college. What was that transition like at your school? Was there a transition program that you participated in for that? So I would say what I did, so basically how our, our, our high school was done was we basically met with our guidance counselors and uh, we got the letters of recommendation and there wasn't necessarily a transition program. I will say um, the speech and language pathologist has brought um, people on the autism spectrum to like various colleges just to get a tour, to get mm-hmm. an idea of, of what college life is like. Sometimes well, she'll bring in syllabi from the different colleges just to get an idea of what, what the expectations are for coursework. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was going, so I got accepted to Assumption College. So what I did was actually, I went on a tour and I actually met one of the um, admissions people and, you know, just shared my experiences and shared my, you know, academic experience, my professional experiences. And uh, that's how I got acquainted with Assumption College. And that's what helped me to transition from from high school to co- to that to college. Okay. And once you were in college, tell everyone, as far as your studies, how you decided on your particular degree and what that has been like uh, once you've obtained your degree. Sure. So at first, when I started at Assumption College, I wanted to major in psychology. Mm -hmm. And so I I was just fascinated about um, human behavior and how people interact socially, but in reality, in fact, it didn't actually last very long because I saw that they Assumption had a uh, a major in human service and rehabilitation studies, mm-hmm. and so which their emphasis is on people, you know, working with other people and the idea of helping people with disabilities to find independence, find and maintain independence. So important. In their, yeah, in in the respective communities, and so. Given my personal experiences on the autism spectrum and given what the 
philosophy and mission is behind human services, I decided I wanted to pursue that route instead. So that's what led me to go for that major. But then I will also say that um, there was another program through the career, their career continuing education program. Um, it was a certificate in aging services, um, which is also gerontology. So in addition to going for my uh, bachelor's in human services and rehabilitation, I also went to pursue my certificate in aging services, which eventually led me to do um, a 400-hour internship uh, with the Central Mass Agency on Aging. Wow. And Yeah, and so what led me to do that? Well, one, it was a 400-hour um, internship requirement for the bachelor's degree and mm-hmm. also as part of the uh, certificate for the uh, Certificate in Aging Services program. So, but at the Central Mass Agency on Aging, I was doing a lot of different tasks, such as information referral, um, human services planning, outreach. I'd go out um, in the communities, gain information about different resources for older adults and people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really amazing experience. And in fact, one of my colleagues, he was the executive director and also um, one of my instructors for the Certificate in Aging Services and um, to help me to, to pursue the Certificate in Aging Services. And um, one of the best quotes that I can recall from him that he, that he uh, told me was to know the whole board. And it's kind of like thinking about it like a chessboard, like knowing all the different moves, all the different angles. Yeah. But really applying that to life, like knowing that, okay, you know, if this option doesn't work, there's other options. And trying to find that career path and trying to find that um, direction. So once you received your degree and the certificate, I mean, those are huge accomplishments in and of themselves. You know, I think everyone kind of struggles with, okay, I've got this piece of paper. Now, what am I going to do with it? What was that process like for you when you were out you know, interviewing for job positions or looking for job positions that you felt may be a great fit for you? So one of the best things that I have done, and I would recommend this for any college student or any uh, person looking for a job, is networking. Um, networking. Mm-hmm. Um, having those contacts, whether in college or through the internship or through people that you know in your life, um, because they, because they know, um, employers and they know employees. Mm-hmm. And so with my first job, um, I just happened to know that there was a couple of colleagues that I knew really well and they put a good word in for me. Now this was for an administrative assistant position at uh, Behavioral Concepts Incorporated. So it was at BCI. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up eventually getting the job prior to graduation. That's and always nice. Yeah, it is always that. It is. <laughs> and so for about so after I graduated from Assumption, I uh, so I started there, and for three months I actually was doing human uh, resources work um, because the HR person was out on leave uh, for a couple of months, so I was helping out with the human resources department. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there were times where it was a little bit stressful, but it wasn't too, too bad. Awesome. Um, but it was it gave, helped me to gain a lot of like, people skills, interpersonal skills. But so then the HR person came back, and I was pretty much just doing my regular administrative assistant work. I was doing some of the HR functions, but I was doing also work for the, front, the uh, clerical as well. So eventually, I was actually 
actually only there for six months because there was a really good opportunity at Montecito Home Care for a state home care case aid um, position. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went for, so, which is, I, I look at it as like a case manager assistant position. So I ended up going for that and I did get the job. Uh, Great. And I was basically, you know, helping, basically scheduling, um, doing the scheduling and provision of services for uh, homemaking and personal care for older adults and basically helping out with the, with the bookkeeping with the case managers. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, yeah, but unfortunately, it was probably around like a uh, couple of months later, I had uh, the Graves' disease, which I was diagnosed a couple of years ago, but Graves' disease uh, being the autoimmune um, condition with, uh, associated with the hyperthyroidism, the uh, condition, uh, the symptoms got really worse, and it was, it was starting to take uh, a toll on my work a little bit, and I just didn't want to jeopardize my, my job. Yeah. And so I asked HR to see if I could try to be reassigned to a different position given the, the uh, medical issues that I've been dealing with. And so they were very accommodating and they actually, there was an opening for a part-time clerical receptionist position. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting that position. But then after that, I, like a month later, I ended up having my whole thyroid surgery removed because of the Graves' disease. Okay. So I was out of work for a couple of weeks. And the transition to the uh, clerical receptionist position was very, very challenging. There was a lot of stuff going on, but things did eventually get better. And even talking with my supervisor in the, in the clerical role, she started to see a lot of my strengths. She saw that I was very focused, um, very diligent, punctual, mm-hmm. very organized, professionally dressed, appropriate towards employees and towards Zoomers. And that's, I think, that's key in employment is really knowing all these different strengths. Yeah, I think Uh, a lot of that, you probably had some support from your parents as, you know, as well as maybe some other friends and stuff before you're going through the interview process. You know, these are the things that you can do to give yourself an advantage in the interview process. So you probably had a lot of just encouragement there. If Are there maybe some points that you can give people, uh, whether it's employers or people who may be seeking employment, like during the interview process, things that, that you can do. I know for employers, you know, try not to make questions that are ambiguous in nature. Any kind of points that you can give people? Well, for the interviewers, I would say, if there's somebody on the autism spectrum coming in to do an interview, I would probably say try to make the question um, more concrete and clear. When I've gone to several interviews, like one of the key, um, key questions that's usually asked is, tell me about yourself. Right. Now, for somebody on the autism spectrum, tell me about yourself might mean, okay, I'm going to tell my whole life story. <laughs> right. But, but the reality is, is Basically, what interviewers are looking for is, you know, the educational and employment background when you're telling. So when they say, tell me, tell us a little bit about yourself, they want to see how the education and the employment are connected to the skills and qualifications of the position that um, somebody on the autism spectrum or anybody going for a job is considering. Sure. And I think, so that's key for both the interviewer, but also for the interviewee, um, knowing that clear and concrete questioning. Uh, mm-hmm. And 
the other thing I would say too is it should be although um, social skills, social interaction, social uh, behaviors are are important. And you should you know be professionally represent yourself professionally. You know, getting dressed appropriately for an interview. You know, dressing appropriately for work. You know, having um, proper social etiquette when you're going to an interview or going to um, or when you start getting when you're hired to go to work. One of the things that's really important is that the point of getting a job is because, so basically the reason that somebody gets the job is because they have the skills and the qualification mm-hmm. for that job, for those, to meet those essential functions of the job. Sure. So if you go, if you, and I think sometimes it's like, okay, you have a company and they're just going to do the interview, they're going to just look at your resume, and then they're just going to do the interview, and then it's like, how do you assess their true competencies in terms of the skills and qualifications that they may have? Right. Now, and during so, the interview process, and this may be a, a really, I don't know, stupid question, I guess, and I apologize ahead of time, but do perfect. you feel like you had to disclose to the employer ahead of time or in the interview that you did have an autism diagnosis or... How, were you comfortable in doing that, or did you even feel like you needed to? So I've talked with um, several colleagues over time, and what they've told me is that generally, usually like with the first interview, you don't really need to disclose um, that you have autism okay. per se. Generally, like, because when you go to the first interview, um, you want to just highlight your strengths. Like, you want to highlight and say, yes, you know, I have all of these skills. I have all of these qualifications. Mm-hmm. You want to look the way I'm, that I've been trying to go about it is just you know okay these are my skills these are my qualifications because a lot of the questions that interviewers are asking are pertaining to the job they're pertaining to do you have the qualifications and the skills right but the other but then there's the other portion where if you are offered the job so what happened is. Like, for example, when I went on from uh, Massachusetts to um, Elder Services of Worcester, so to become a case manager, um, home care case manager, what I did was, after I was offered the position, mm-hmm. what I did was write a letter. So I'll write a letter disclosing, um, you know, using my, you know, basically I have this, this, and this. This is what benefits me in terms of, like, what supports might benefit me, like, in terms of accommodation. Sure. Or, terms of uh, any support that has helped me in the past and then I'd give it to the HR person um, just to make sure that you know they, they're going to be able to support me and they said it wasn't a problem and I, and I also got a doctor's note and then it wasn't a problem because they were they realized that I had all these conditions and that, and that these accommodations were reasonable right um, and you had the skill set so ultimately that's what led you to get the position in the first place? Yeah. So, and, but I will say, um, I definitely have come across some of the challenges as well. Like, going back to Montachusetts, like, there were just some people um, that actually told me, like, oh, you know, I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed, and, um, you know, they, you know, they questioned whether I was going to be able to handle a case manager position. Mm-hmm. But, but it's that perseverance and that resilience that comes in and it's, it's like and I've applied for several jobs and I 
said I was I'm de- I was determined to do it, and I did, and I ended up getting hired as a case manager. So yeah. it's kind of like those those powerful moments that can make all the difference. And there were some people at the company that um, were, you know, saying some saying some um, things. But someone told me that I should be doing better personally. But you know, I I was up front, and I also said, you know. What you said made me uncomfortable, and um, I, I don't appreciate it. And I, you know, and I did this closing of your autism, and I'll tell you, it's like a light switch went off, and it made all the difference. Yeah, I think it, that's very brave, too. I always tell my son, you know, he's only five and a half, so he's not going to be looking for a job anytime soon. But I always tell him, you are brave. You are brave. And he is, and I'm, I'm teaching him to be a self-advocate for himself and showing him that I'm advocating for him as well. So I think that that's one of the most crucial pieces is that not only are you advocating for yourself, but essentially you're advocating for all of the other people, too, that are on the spectrum and are going through the employment process because it's challenging for anyone, absolutely anyone, to go through the whole interview process and the hiring. There's so much competition out there. And I think it's it's just tragic that there is so much unemployment and underemployment for people that are on the spectrum and people like yourself who have such a powerful intelligent voice you're making such an impact for this group in this community and I I just I can't thank you enough because I feel like you're laying the groundwork for my son I'm glad to hear that I, I really appreciate that yeah uh, and what I also wanted to say too is you know, people with autism have a lot of strengths. You know, that the whole idea of positive psychology, and it's like, when I've done public speaking engagements and when I've done other um, opportunities to try to say, hey, you know what, there's 80 to 90% of people on the autism spectrum adults that are either underemployed or unemployed, and it's like, they have these all these skill sets. And yeah, But I think part of it is, Companies don't either have enough training, they don't have enough education, or don't have the resources. And right. the sad thing, and the sad thing too, is uh, some companies, even just from my experience, sometimes it's like I try to highlight, I'm trying to advocate, you know, any concerns and needs, I'm trying to address those concerns and needs, mm-hmm. and it's like it just gets put to the side, and it's like it's never like revisited, and yeah. that that can that can be problematic. Sure. Well, I just really appreciate you sharing, you know, just your personal story and all of your background and all of the progress that you've made, not only for yourself, but for the other individuals. It's been amazing to speak with you. And I can't wait to see all of the amazing things that you're going to accomplish in your life. And I feel like you're a part of my autism tribe now and know that you have a whole tribe here that is rooting for you and supports you wholeheartedly in everything that you do in your life. And it's a pleasure and an honor to know you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Well, you take care. We'll talk soon. All righty. One of the first big corporations to recruit individuals with autism was Microsoft, which started its inclusive hiring for people with disabilities program three years ago in the U.S. Each candidate hired by Microsoft has access to a third-party job coach who helps them transition into the workforce and answers any questions they may have. 
Their mission is to empower everyone in the organization and to create a diverse workforce. If you're an employer, here are some tips that may help. Check whether your job description is relevant to the job. For application forms, it's not always obvious what information the applicant needs to provide on the application form. It's important to provide clear guidance on this and to make sure the form includes a space for applicants to highlight any help or adjustments they may want at an interview. And during the interview stage, make sure that the questions you ask are clear and unambiguous. If you'd like more information, please feel free to reach out to My Autism Tribe. And if you'd like to hear firsthand from someone's experiences, reach out to Ryan. It's www.ryansvoice.blog. Thanks so much for listening to My Autism Tribe, and I'll see you next week.